Thank you, thank you. All right. Okay, thank you. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 46. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Okay, uh, be seated and take your Bibles, please. You guys are awesome. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate uh, all, the, all the text messages that I get before I preach. I appreciate that. And I am getting paid off right now. Paid off, literally, literally. Filthy lucre to, uh, to set certain people up on dates. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So it is what it is. We're not here for that. We're not here for that. But uh, take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter number 46, please, in your Bible, Isaiah 46. I do love being out here and uh, preaching, and I want to be a help today. God, God gave me a message about a year ago, and uh, preached it at our church. I, I'm pretty sure I preached it on a, on a Sunday night, and maybe right around that time. And um, I just couldn't get away from it this morning as I was thinking about chapel. And so I, I want to do my best to bring it to you and to, and to be a help. Um, before I do, it's good to have Brother Willard and Brother Jones here. These are, these are great folks, and if you are interested, if there's anything inside of you that's thinking about teaching in a Christian school, um, and, I, and I, don't, I don't think I've ever done this, but I can't recommend their ministry uh, any more highly. I love West Virginia. It's a chance to go back to wild and wonderful West Virginia. I talked to Pastor Lamb this morning, and uh, we prayed together and relived some memories together before chapel, and uh, it's a great ministry. It's a great church, and so if there's anyone here that's looking to be a teacher, I, I really can highly recommend uh, what they have going on there in Martinsburg, and if you have any questions about it, you can see me even after they leave uh, in class tomorrow or whenever, but it's great to have them here, and uh, I count them to be good friends. We're in Isaiah chapter number 46, and... I want you to look with me, please, at verse number five. This is a passage of Scripture that once I, once I discovered it and, and God helped me understand it, it just uh, is often replaying in my mind. And so I want to bring it to you this morning for chapel here. It's just a reset button. The Lord God is speaking to His people, and He's not speaking to the heathen. He's not speaking to uh, those that would be lost. Speaking to his people, and he says in verse number five, to whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? Could you imagine God having to ask that question? C could you imagine the God of heaven being so fed up with his people that he literally has to say, who's as big as I am? Who's equal with me? Uh, to whom are you going to compare me? Pretty staggering when you think about it. This message was really born last year. I was in uh, 
Costa Rica with our, our seniors, our high school seniors, on a senior trip and on a missions trip, and we were there, and we did all the stuff, you know, we, we uh, did all, all the sightseeing and all those types of things, and, and then uh, we, we did some spiritual activities as well, and just kind of tried to blend that senior trip with a missions trip, and, and uh, it was pretty moving, Those, there's people in this room that were here. There are people in this room who heard me preach this message for the first time with an interpreter. You can ask them about it later, but uh, it was quite the experience. But uh, we went to an orphanage while we were there, and that was, that was pretty moving. There to go to Costa Rica and to be in an orphanage and to, to be told ahead of time, you know, some of the children that you're going to see, they'll have burns on their ear and burns on their body, and don't ask them. Don't ask them about it. We were even told how one, one person uh, got the burn because a boyfriend uh, just kind of in and out of the house had taken a hot poker and put it uh, to his face. And, and now here he is in the orphanage. And it was, it was moving to see that, to see a group of children and, and some teenagers and singing things like, all that I need is my faith in Jesus. All that I need is my home above. Uh, it, was mo- it was a moving experience. And if you were to ask some of our seniors what was the most moving experience, they would, they would no doubt some of them, if not most of them, would say the orphanage. For me personally, it, it wasn't the orphanage. It was uh, going to a basilica. We went to a, a Catholic church. We walked into this building, and it'd be hard for me to describe it to you. It was an old building. It was stately. It was just um, the detail was, was out of this world. Portions of the building seemed to be made out of gold. Some of the decorations and painting and the trim work all along the building was so detailed. The floors were marble in the church auditorium from front to back, just beautifully ornate, And we walked into the building, and it was one of those places where as soon as you walk in, everybody in the group just instantly had their phone out, and they're they're recording because it it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And while we're doing all of that, we, I at least, the group kind of spread out, but, but I made my way to the front of the church, and there at the front of the church, there was a fence, if I remember right, a gate, and they had all sorts of statues uh, there. You can really get to them. They had all sorts of statues there and uh, different things that Catholic people, you know, Mary, obviously, the, the statue of Mary was there and other things, just kind of all in the front of the church. When I turned back and I looked from the, the place where I walked, and it was probably, I'd say, three times as long as this building, wouldn't you say? It was right, right in there, two, three times as long as this building. And when I turned from the altar area and I looked down the center aisleway, that's what got my attention. I had never seen anything like this before. But all the way in the back there, I could see people on their knees. Not the tourists, but the the people that lived there. They would get on their knees on that marble floor. They would just start making their way to the front. I saw young couples carrying babies, holding hands and making their way to the front. I saw elderly people, elderly people on their knees, making their way to the front. 
The floor was marble. It was difficult. About halfway through the aisle, you could see the pain on their face. They would have to stop and take a break. You, you would see them eventually make their way to the altar. And in the case of the elderly man that I saw, when he got to the altar, he just kind of collapsed at the altar, began to cry, look at these statues. They'll never hear a prayer. They'll never do anything for them. And just begin to weep and cross himself and pray the young couple had the baby, the little baby, and they placed it on the altar, and they were praying over the baby and at the statues, and I sat there and I watched that. I just couldn't get away from it. Once we were done in the Basilica, Brother Bushy, they took us around back to an, another spot, still on the church property. They took us to another spot where uh, they had a legend that uh, it was St. Peter's Rock, and so this area, I do remember this, this area was completely fenced off and they had some water running over this rock and a little, a little uh, ditch, a little trough of water there and, and uh, all this spillover from this water coming out of what looked to be like a side of a hill type of a facade deal running over this rock and into the pool of water and off to the side they had a man that was selling, he had a shop and he was selling little trinkets and people would go there and, and purchase the trinket. And they would take it to the water and through the fence, they would throw the trinket kind of at St. Peter's Rock. And I saw uh, ladies there, they would take the water and put it on their hair. I saw a pregnant lady there take the water and rub it on her stomach. I, I saw other people there and just rubbing the water on their hands and uh, on their arms. And the missionary said, these people think that the water is blessed. They think that there's something special about the water. He said, Brother Judah, if I were to take you right behind this St. Peter's rock, <laughs> it's just a pipe. They're just, it's just tap water. They're just piping it in. It's really there for everybody to see. He said that shopkeeper, once they shut down, he'll go into this area. He'll take all the trinkets. He'll kind of wash them off. He'll put them right back on the display for tomorrow for the next group of people to come and, and, and purchase and throw at the rock and, and pray. And I saw that, and that day, we did a lot of things on senior trip. We, we did a lot of things, and it was fun. But I've never forgotten that day. I've never been able to get away from the sadness, the anger that I felt that day. To, to think here are people, sincere people, uh, trying to worship God and believing a lie. By the way, you ought to thank God every day that God has given you the truth. You know, God is so interested that you have the truth. He gave you Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He gave you the word of God. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. He's given you the Holy Spirit of God. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Friends, you ought to, hey, we have no excuse to be living a lie. God has given us the truth this morning. But to see people that are blinded, sad. It's sad to think that they'll get on their knees and, and crawl on that marble floor day after day after day in pain, giving their time, their energy, their, their money. We're going to wake up in hell someday because they believed a lie. That's sad. That's, that's, that's 
It makes me angry, pastor, it makes me angry and incredibly sad. And all around us today, I was talking to Brother Bushy, and I asked him if he's ever heard the message on idols, and he said, I've preached many messages on idols. He said, you know, and I'm sure in Thailand, they have them in the homes. And he said, I've preached many times against idols. I'm looking over here at Brother Anish. There he is. And we all know Brother Anish's testimony, saved out of Hinduism. And of course, they have, they have idols there and false gods that they worship, that they bow down to, that they pray to, that they're incredibly devoted to. It's very sad to me to know that there's a world of people that are lost, believing a lie, trusting in some man-made object for their eternity, for their fortune on earth, or however you want to look. It's very, very sad to me. But, but teens, teens, class, whoever I'm preaching to, listen, God's not talking to God's not speaking to lost people here. God's not speaking to people in darkness here. He, he's speaking to the house of Jacob is who he's talking to. If you look at verse number three, hearken unto me, O house of Jacob. He is speaking to his people. And while we can talk all around the world, people that are lost in darkness, people that are out there searching for something, not being able to hang on to it, and it's sad, and it even makes me angry. I wonder how God feels when he looks at his people that have accumulated little gods. His people who hold the Bible, sit in chapel, uh, attend a church, and his people who... who Maybe they don't carry a carving, but they are worshiping an insignificant God nonetheless. To the point where he says, hey, to whom will you liken me and compare me that we may be equal having to wake up his people for them to realize that, man, whatever it is that you're worshiping, if it's not almighty God, it's in vain. I'll prove it to you in the New Testament, the last verse of 1 John, which is the book of truth, the last verse of 1 John says this, you can read it for yourselves, little children, keep yourselves from idols. You see, whether we're talking about the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, or the book of 1 John in the New Testament, or 2024 at Hiles Anderson Chapel, God's people have a tendency to gather around them some false gods and to place them at an elevated position and to replace the true and living God. These idols, these idols, they dominate our lives. They dominate our lives. We, we can't go a second without them. Uh, uh, we can't, we can't uh, go too far without having these idols in our hands and, and without thinking about the idols of man and, and uh, having our They dominate our lives. I don't think it's an accident where God says a number of times to look up, look up, look up to the hills from whence cometh your heart, help saith the Lord. Yet in Ezekiel uh, chapter number 14, verse number three, the Bible says, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. I don't think it's an accident where we are commanded to look up constantly. All of a sudden, we're looking down as a society, and we have the idols of God, the idols of man, before our face. They dominate our lives. 
They devour our time. These idols distort the truth. These idols divide our treasure. And in many cases, these idols damage our testimony. We've got a world that is consumed with education, a world that is consumed with sports, a world that is consumed with making the next dollar. A world, I'm talking about God's people, God's people. The people in this room consumed with the next whatever. You ever check your screen time? You ever ask yourself, I wonder how much time I spend staring at this thing? Go ahead and do it, friend. And then you'll be trying to talk yourself. Oh, I can't be right. It is right. These idols dominate our lives. They devour our time. And in our text verse, God has had enough. And he has said, hey, whatever idol it is that you're worshiping, how does it compare to me? Class, we serve a great God. Man, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but there's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody that ought to dominate your life like Jesus when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Hey, there's nobody that's demanding of our treasure and our talent like the Lord Jesus. Yet, in this room, we are dominated by the gods of money and entertainment and education and celebrity and culture and popularity. This morning for a few minutes, I just want to come after your gods. I just want to ask you a question. Man, whatever it is that you have put in the place of Almighty God, whatever it is, hey, would you just be honest with yourself uh, as, a, as a student body, whatever it is that is dominating your life more than Almighty God, I want to ask you some questions from Isaiah. Question number one, your God, your little G God. Number one, can your God lift burdens or is he a burden? Can he lift burdens or is he a burden? Look at verse number one. The Bible says, Bel boweth down, Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop down, they bow together, and they could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Verse number three, hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried uh, from the womb. Uh, he says in verse four, and even to your old age, I am he, and even to your whore hairs will I carry you. I have made, and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. Hey, a question for you. This God that you're worshiping, this God that dominates your life and dominates your time, and in some cases even uh, divides your treasure. Maybe you've got a God this morning that is damaging your testimony. This God, is he a heavy burden or does he lift the burden? Does he lift the burden? You remember, see, these false gods in Isaiah, they, they became a heavy burden. You remember in the book of Genesis when Rachel left with Jacob, she stole her father's gods, hid them in the furniture of the camels. Evidently, uh, these gods were small enough to carry. They could be hid and placed in furniture and saddlebags or whatever it is, chests. But you see, what happens is as a person gets older and the problems get bigger and life gets more serious, you need a bigger God. And by the time we get to Isaiah, these gods are being placed on beasts of burden. And so much so that the Bible says that, that upon the cattle, your carriages were heavy loaden and they are a burden to the weary beast. Uh, they stoop, they bow down together. 
They could not deliver the burden. These false gods had become so heavy. They had become so weighty that even the beasts of burden would collapse under the weight of these false gods. And so I've got a question for you. The God that has taken the place of Almighty God, is it a heavy burden or are you serving a God that can lift the burden? Man, I love the old song, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near, but your God, is he a burden lifter or is he a heavy burden in your life? The God of popularity can get pretty heavy. Walking around, man, uh, trying to please everybody. Making sure your friends are happy. Compromising what you know is right just so you're not left out. I've seen countless teenagers lose their way just to gain some popularity. It's almost like they worship the acceptance of their friend, of their co-laborers, or of their bus captains, or of their division leader, and whoever. Friend, that God of popularity, it's a heavy burden. It's a heavy burden. Man, we sell out to that God the God of popularity, uh, the God of, of money. And man, we are consumed in America with the almighty dollar. And we, we compromise our calling. We compromise our convictions because we are worshiping the God of money. Man, I'll put another few dollars on the hour. I'll miss church on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever. If it'll uh, uh, put a few more dollars in the bank account. I know I was called to preach back in the day, but I'll justify it a hundred different ways once a job comes up where I can make a little bit of money. And my friend, I'm here to tell you, that is a God that becomes a heavy burden to anybody that carries that God. Jesus says, cast all your care upon me. The Bible says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, my friend. Uh, we need to just get honest with ourselves today. Hey, the God, some of us, some of us, we, we, we worship, it's a God of lust. It's a God of lust. And man, we've got, we're, we've got our eyes down looking at things we shouldn't look at. And the shame and the guilt and the failure and the questions, and man, and hey, hey, trying to hide it. And it becomes a heavy burden. And walking around paranoid. The, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. The righteous, bold as a lion. And walking around, man, is Brother Osgood going to catch me? Is Brother Collins going to get When's it going to come up? Hey, friend, these are heavy burdens to, to bear. Your God, your God a burden lifter? Or is your God a heavy burden? Heavy burden, number two, your God. Do you carry your God or does your God carry you? Look what the Bible says. Just, just, just look what it says in verse number four there. And even in your old age, I am he, and even in your whore hairs, will I carry you? I have made, I will bear, even I will carry. Do you see that? You see, in this passage, they would carry their gods. In the past, they would walk around with gods that they carried. But here, Almighty God is saying, I will carry you. Verse number seven, they bear him upon the shoulder. They carry him and set him in his place. And he standeth from his place. Shall he not remove? Yea, one shall cry unto him. And uh, yet, can he not answer nor save him out of his trouble? Uh, hey, I'm just asking you the question today. Right here, right now. Hiles Anderson, 2024. The God that you're worshiping. Not in word, but in deed. The God that dominates your time, dominates your money, uh, 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 takes a, look, that God. Is that a God that's carrying you? 
Or is that a God that you can carry? I'm telling you right now, it is not popular preaching, but between these two guys right here, we, we carry our gods around. We carry them around. These, these things right here have, have damaged our testimony in some cases, and we're blind to the truth. Your God, is it a God that carries you, or is it a God that you carry? Some of us need to just admit who's been doing the carrying all of these years. God said, here, I'll carry you from the womb. You see, whatever it is, whether it's education or money or uh, uh, entertainment technology or whatever it is, some sport that we get all wrapped up in, whatever it is, uh, you live long enough and you'll find out when times get difficult, these gods cannot and will not carry you. They cannot and will not. We still worship gods we can carry. What are you going to do in times of trouble? What are you going to do when you're old? What are you going to do in times of difficulty, having spent your life giving lip service to Almighty God, but really worshiping the gods that you're carrying around? You need to trust God. Hey, when this world goes crazy, I don't want a God that doesn't work without a signal. And I'm telling you, man, we are so connected to everything else, but, but we're not connected to heaven. Who's doing the carrying? Well, what's it like if you can't find your Bible as opposed to you can't find your cell phone? I mean, what sets in? You know, is there any paranoia if you've lost the word of God for a minute or two? But let you use your cell phone, you'll lose your mind. See, who's doing the carrying? Remember my father-in-law got sick, and, and I've told the story, but I was thinking about him yesterday with my son. He got sick, and I won't get into all of it, but grew up in a drunkard's home got saved at a vacation Bible school, had to climb up into a tree. They wouldn't let him in the church because the church was full, but the church had no air conditioning. And so the windows, they, they opened up the windows of the church. And he was so interested in what was going on inside of that church, he climbed up in a tree, listened from the outside. He listened to the church service of the vacation Bible school, and he got saved there in the tree. It's a wonderful testimony. He would go on to attend that church and to give his life to God. And all his years, uh, his father, as far as I know, though he heard the gospel, he never trusted Christ and he died a, he died a, a drunkard's death. And that was a weight on my father-in-law for, for his whole life. His mother the same way. I think she made a profession in Christ, but never really lived for the Lord. He was by himself. He tell the story how even at 14 years of age or 15 years of age, he'd have to get in the car and drive to the bar where his mom and his dad were. He'd have to be the designated driver, 14 years of age, 15 years of age. Wait outside the bar for them to get into the car drunk and take him home. This happened again after time and time and time again. He went on to Bob Jones University and he was a pretty good golfer and his dad thought, his dad thought that he was going to golfing school. Bobby Jones was a famous golfer way back in the day. And his, his dad thought he was in golfing school. He said, oh, well, good for him. He went down to visit him at Bob Jones in South Carolina and uh, figured out pretty quick, I don't think this is a golfing school. <laughs> he told him, he said, Robert, you're not going to go to this kind of a college. You're not gonna, I'm not going to pay for this. My father-in-law said, then fine, then don't. Then don't. God will take care of me. And he lived for God. Hey, good times, difficult times. Lived for God at the end of his life there in a hospital room surrounded by his family. He pulled a mask down to, to look at his children and he delivered one 
the last thing that he said. Last thing that he said to my wife, to her brothers. You know, it's always amazed me, the last thing after a life for God, he didn't say, he didn't say, go get some more money. You're going to need it. He didn't say, hey, the new iPhone is coming out. He didn't say it. He didn't say, I, I wish I would have had another degree. He looked in the face of his children with the last words he could muster. He pulled that mask down and he said, live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. You see, my friend, that's a man, that's a testimony of a, of a man who understood what it was to have a God that could carry him, not a God that he had to carry around. And I'm talking to some young people today and even some adults. Man, we just need to get honest. Who's been doing the carrying? What's the prayer closet look like? What's the Bible time look like? How's the connection with heaven? Brother Judah, I'm good. I've got some money. I'm good. I've got the latest, greatest, whatever. Hey, Brother Judah, I'm good. No, you're not good. If you are carrying around your gods, you are not good. You need to get right with God. Your God, is he a heavy burden? Or does he lift the burden? Your God, do you carry him or does he carry you? Your God. And I'll end with this. But look at verse number six. The Bible says they lavish gold out of the bag. They weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith. And he maketh it a God. They fall down, yea, they worship. I'm interested in that word lavish. Just like those people in Costa Rica on their knees crawling to the altar, just like those people at the St. Peter's Rock, you know, spending money they don't have to buy trinkets, to put water on their head, just like those lavish. You see, the Bible says they lavish gold out of the bag. That word lavish literally means to scatter the coin. To spare no expense. In other words, they would have a problem. They would have a difficulty. Maybe they would feel their body start to fail and they would, they would look into their bag and they would take everything that they had and, and they would lavish the coins. Don't be impressed, that's all singles. No, but they would, they would lavish. Hey, hey, in other words, in other words, I've got a problem and I don't need a dollar, God. I don't need a discount God. I don't need a God that a little bit of spare change and, and a little bit of a, a spare time and pocket change can get me. Hey, hey, I've got a problem. I'm going to lavish. I'm going I'm to scatter the coins. This verse is saying that when they needed to make a God, they spared no expense. They weren't cheap. They didn't want a dollar store God. No, they, they lavished. They lavished. And here's everything that I have. Make me a God. So here's my question for you. Your God. Is he really worth lavishing on? I mean, is it really worth all that time you're spending, all that money you're spending, all that devotion? Your God. Well, maybe the better question is this. When was the last time you lavished on Almighty God? What would it look like if we had a chapel service where the people of God just decided, you know what? I'm going to lavish on God for a while. I'm going to scatter the coins. 
I'm going to spare no expense. Man, my time, my devotion, my money, my future, I'm not just going to give them part-time here. My God, let me just say, Almighty God is worthy of our lavishing. Man, he lavished for us, uh, broken and spilled out there on the cross. He spared no expense. Every drop of blood had your name on it. He was willing to look at you and say, I love you. I'll take a cross. I'll pour it all out. Where are God's people willing to say, here's more than five minutes, God, I'll lavish. What would a lavishing chapel service look like? What would a lavishing song service look like? What would a lavishing Sunday night? I mean, what would your division, how would it have to change the bus meeting, all these things, if you just decided, man, for a while, we're going to lavish on God. Spare no expense. Everything, pour it out like Mary in the New Testament took that alabaster box and broke it and poured it at the feet of Jesus. And people said, what a waste of time. But it wasn't a waste of time or money. She, and she didn't pour just to drop out. She lavished it. We've gotten away, friends, we've gotten away from lavishing. We've gotten away from a, from a tree in the back of the college chapel or the gymnasium where we go out there and man we walk around that tree and we just lavish on God and we just pour it out again and again and again and we wonder where are the Kevin Wins and where are the Rick Martins and where are the church builder we wonder where they're I'll tell you where they're at they're, they're, they should be in churches serving God but they're, they're <laughs> they've got a God a dollar can buy there's some young men in this room that want to be used by God. I know it. You better learn to lavish on God. You think they were embarrassed about their reputation when they showed up to the goldsmith, pulled out their bag, and scattered the coins. They weren't. Man, they needed a God. So, so here's everything. And some of us, though, we get a little worried about taking a stand for God, spending time with God. What's it going to cost me? Where is he going to send me? God, give us a student body that'll just lavish. I was dating my wife. I loved her so much. Wanted to win her attention so much. I didn't care. It didn't matter to me. I mean, honestly, it didn't matter to me. I remember one of our first dates, you know, you have the chapel dates and all those dates, and they're, they're legit, but <laughs> the first, like, outside of college date. I took her. We were at an ice cream shop, shop and... <clears throat> And they had that, little, had that little game there with the claw where you could put a dollar in and the claw would drop down and pick up the thing and, you know, almost impossible to win. I don't know if it was a Holy Spirit. I don't know what it was. But I just looked at her and I said, you, you want a stuffed animal? She said, yeah. I said, oh, I just want it. I had never wanted a day in my life. It was just that, just that, yeah, I got it. She said, really? I said, oh, yeah. Walked over there, kid you not, first dollar or whatever it was, five dollars, I don't remember, whatever it was, first one, boop, popped over, picked up a teddy bear, and I'm sitting there on the outside, like, chill, but on the inside, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, and, uh, it, it, you know, when you realize, man, it's going, it's past the point of no return, and it dropped it in that little thing, and I just, just cool, man, just picked it up, here we go, she was like, oh, my hero, and, uh, <laughs> eat your ice cream, and let's get married, and, uh, but anyways, hey, hey. We went a few weeks later. My friends and I went a few weeks later. We may or may not have skipped classes that day, but we went a few weeks later 
to Six Flags Great America. And I can remember I was going there and ride the roller coasters and everything. And my wife, I said, do you want something from Six Flags? She said, yeah. And she said, can you win me something again? Of course. Of course. What are you talking about? I mean, I'll, I'll bring you one of the big, one of those huge ones. Man, we went there to the little midway. I took all the money out of my pocket. I'm trying to win these carny games, you know, that are the deck is stacked against you, can't win it, can't win it, I'm spending five bucks, ten bucks, fifty bucks, hundred bucks, soon I'm going to my friends, hey, I need some money legitimately, like they're looking at me, I'm in this midway, you know, trying with the little squirt gun to beat the kindergarten kids, and, uh, and I can't beat them, and I'm losing time after time, you know the little one where you've got like the softball, you gotta, you gotta throw it like this and get it in the basket, and I kept barely missing, and it would bounce out, and then the carny who was raised from birth to do this, Walter Stevens, thank you, but uh, uh, he was raised from birth, and he, oh, let me show you how that's done, throw it in there, and I'm like, ooh, and just the competitive side of me, and the, the thought of, of going back to my, my girlfriend and not having anything, <laughs> I'm a loser, that was luck, I, I could not bear it, couldn't bear it. So I'm spending money. I'm borrowing money. My friends leave me on the midway. They go ride rides. They come back like every hour to check on me. You okay? I'm fine. I can stop whenever I want. And uh, you know, you're just, you're just. Finally won. Don't remember how. Spending money I didn't have. I mean, interest, you know, some of my friends, those dolls, they're real cheap. And they're like, uh, they're, you know that, brother. And they're like, I'll give you this $5, but I would like $7.50 in return. And, uh, that's fine. Just give it to me. And uh, hey, hey, finally won. Remember sh sticking that thing in whatever car we drove to Six Flags and the thing was massive, but, but bringing it back and, and giving it to, to my girlfriend meant so much to me, meant so much to her. How much, did, how, how much did you spend? And I looked at her and said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Abdel Kareem, I used to I'm connected with money sources you know nothing about. But uh, hey, hey, hey. You know what? It didn't bother me to lavish a little bit. It didn't bother me to reach deep, to give what I didn't have. It didn't bother me to spend a little extra time didn't bother them to take their bag and to scatter it out. Why does it bother us? Why does it bother us to look at God Almighty and say, here's some of my future, but not all of it? Why does it bother us to look at Almighty God and say, here's, here's some of my witness, but not all of it? Here's, here's some of my time in a prayer closet, but it's been a long time since I've gone all night. It's been a long time since I've gone without food. It's been a long time since I lavished. Your God. Is he a burden lifter? Is he a heavy burden? Your God. Does he carry you? Can he carry you? Are you carrying him? Your God. Is he worthy of your lavishing? What does that look like in your life? I would say 20 hours a week of screen, screen time is lavishing, wouldn't you? Seems a little excess, doesn't it? Just a little. I would say whatever it is, you know, Netflix binge series that we all night long, I would say that's a little, it's a little much, isn't it? The last time you did that with God. I'm talking about God. 
Hey, is he worthy of your lavishing? Who can compare unto me? Who is like unto me? Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Friends, the altar's open. I just want to put God in his rightful place in our hearts today. I would just like to put God where he belongs today. Maybe you ought to lavish a little while. Maybe there ought to be some things that you look at in your life and say, you know what? I've got to trim that back. I need to lavish on God Almighty for me. Pour it all out. Truth of the matter is, we don't have time in this world for you to have a plan B with God. There's no plan B. There's no plan P. Do the will of God wholeheartedly, recklessly. Look, recklessly do. Have enough faith to say, God, you have it all. You have it all. Some of you ought to take that God out of your pocket, put it on the altar, walk away and say, man, I just, I don't need it. I'm not in high school anymore, Brother Judah. You know, my parents used to restrict my phone. and Yeah, I get it. And you're not in high school anymore. Why don't you restrict it? Why don't you be honest enough to just say, man, a little bit too much time on that and not enough time with Almighty God. I'm telling you, man, you give your life to something else, it's heavy. Just as the days go, it's just heavy. You find yourself collapsing under the weight of these things that we place in front of Almighty God. Just put Jesus where he belongs. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Lavish on.